Who had the iced tea? Ah, uh, that's me. Thank you. All right. So, welcome to Alul's Cafe. I am uh, Professor Pettit. I am hanging out today talking about technology uh, with my friend, Professor Matthew Snyder. Hey, great to be here. Yeah, we're glad you joined us. We're uh, going to spend some time today talking about technology, which we do all the time, but we want to make sure that we're actually defining our terms. Sure. One of the first things that we do when we start talking about something is we make sure that we're at least talking about the same thing. And I find this conversation fascinating because usually when I go to ask students, let's define technology. I actually pose the question, can we define technology? And they start looking things up and we whiteboard this whole thing that says, this is what we think technology is. And, and they can never agree. If I ask 20 students, I get 20 definitions. 21 maybe. Probably. <laughs> and, they, and they just keep like, oh, well, this person said this and this person said this. And so I started thinking through like, well, we probably need to define what we mean by technology if we're going to have a show that's basically talking about technology and sit around a table with different people. What are we talking about when we say technology? But before we get started, I just want to ask, like, so you're new here at Moody. Yes. And, and you just started teaching. Tell us where you came from, what you've been up to, what are you, what are you teaching, what are you doing? Sure. Okay, so uh, I was a student um, here at Moody uh, about 10 years ago, somewhere in that range. And uh, before that, I, I did an associate's degree in web design. And so I cool. um, kind of learned a lot about the design field uh, more broadly and then applying that to web in particular. And then I came to Moody and found uh, just this great and rich uh, conversation between communications, the arts, and theology. And so I um, was deeply formed here, and, um, and then after that decided I wanted to pursue further education. And so I went to Dallas Seminary and studied, um, did a Master of Theology there, uh, with my emphasis being in particular uh, media arts and worship. And wow. so my area um, kind of more, you know, broadly is very much about theology and culture and then theology and the arts more specifically. And I'm very interested in questions of God's revelation, mm -hmm. about creation, this realm where we exist. Um, yeah, and, and about the kingdom of God and, of course, uh, yeah, technology. So. Well, and we've, you and I have even talked a little bit about how much we just love talking about human flourishing. Yes. And that, and that human flourishing lives at that kind of crossroad of theology and culture and technology and how are we interacting right now. Absolutely. Um, so in talking through this, uh, so I'm going to lay out my definition and, and a couple of definitions that I've heard that actually were kind of helpful about technology, and let's just dialogue about what that looks like and what you think of them. Sure. So the first one um, that I heard, uh, and one of the b ones that we use in, in my media strategies class to talk about is that technology has four facets. And this is technology scholar Stephen Klein's, uh, first is hardware, so it actually has some physicality to it. Then manufacturing, which is uh, a process. Then methodology, like there are methods of thinking. So I think manufacturing being the process in terms of its physicality, uh, methodology being the terms for thinking technologically. And then the last one is social usage. There are things that we do that he would say technology has uh, social components to um, that, that are expected. So the, the description that I usually give to, to describe these four things as they relate is picture you're standing at a street in downtown Chicago and you get to an intersection, you're walking, and you see in that walk all of these different facets taking place. So the hardware, we're going to see cars, they're sitting there, they're actually functionally technology that's moving. Uh, the manufacturing, you're going to see um, manufacturing methodology, you're going to see that the cars were built 
on a manufacturing structure. That's how you got these same cars that all look kind of the same with the same structures. The methodology thinking uh, about how they built the lights in the city to turn on and off to say, hey, here's how you move people through. It's a systems thinking methodology. And then lastly, the social usage is the idea of, well, when do we know when we get to cross the street or not? Right. And and when do we know when we can turn in a car or not? We have a piece of technology, but we have to think through, here's how we would, this technology makes us use it or react to it or, you know, know when somebody's breaking that social usage. Hey, you shouldn't turn while a pedestrian was in there. Right. So does that make sense? Yep. Yeah, totally. You know, as you're talking about that, Prof Pettit, I was thinking about uh, kind of the classic Aristotle's four causes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's so much overlap there. I, I just pulled this up. So um, we've got the causa uh, materialis, the material, the mm-hmm. matter out of which something is made. Yep. Um, the causa formalis, in other words, the form, the mm-hmm. shape. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got the causa finalis the end, um, for example, how this is used socially, very sure. connected to what you're saying. Um, and then, of course, the causa efficiens, um, the effect that is this is bringing about. Um, and so I think there's, there's a tremendous amount of overlap there. And I think that's a really interesting conversation because when we want to look at one particular type of technology, we need to look at it through all of these four causes mm-hmm. or, you know, and so that we can understand more broadly, um, you know, not just... Uh, what is this thing, but how is this particular object sort of shaping us as a people, shaping me as a person and us as a people? There are those wider systems that are kind of in place mm-hmm. um, that not only brought about the the actual type of technology, I guess we can say, the specific object, but in fact then how that is sort of shifting and changing the very culture from whence it came. Yeah, and, and that's, I, I guess that's that's a good good frame for me to explain. Like, I guess I think of technology as, uh, as a, if we're going to zoom out, we realize that humans have culture. <clears throat> and so for me, the working definition of culture is from uh, a class that I took with Dr. Van Hooser at Trinity. Mm-hmm. And he said that uh, culture is works and worlds of meaning. And, and that was really helpful for me to think through, like, not just the concept of uh, these are things that we do. Hey, we make art or we make this thing inside a culture. Right. But we also uh, have worlds that each of us is creating in terms of how we think of that culture and how it engages, that both of which are being are, are filled with and negotiating the meaning of what, what those things actually are. Sure. So we may say, well, this is this thing. But we have to negotiate the meaning so that we all kind of agree as a culture on what that thing means. Yeah. This is a car, and this is what's important about a car, and this is why a car matters. Underneath that cultural idea for me, though, is that technology is a piece of that culture. It okay. is. Um, and so I usually try and simplify this. I like these four things, and I think that that grid that we're talking about is expansive enough for us to start thinking through technology as a as a as an aspect of culture. Right. But... For me, the trickier part often that I've run into with most students when they're trying to define culture is they get hung up on usually the first thing in here, which is hardware. Right. They get hung up on, so this is an object. And let's, so why, first of all, why do you think we tend to get hung up that way if you have an idea? Or, <laughs> and second of all, why do you think it has to be more than that? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, as you were talking about culture, I was thinking about Andy Crouch's definition, which I think is also really helpful. Um, He says, culture is what we make of the world. Mm -hmm. And I like that because, of course, there are two pieces underneath that, right? Um, One is the actual stuff we make. 
the very objects, the cars, yeah. right? So there's definitely that included. Um, but then there's also, you know, of course, this play on words. What we make of something is sort of how we understand that thing and our relationship to that thing mm -hmm. and its relationship to other things, right? Sure. What we make of something. So when we talk about culture, it is both of these pieces together. I think there's there's a really helpful um, bit there. So, yeah, so I think the I suspect one of the reasons we get caught up more on that, you know, the physical part, the objects mm -hmm. aspect is that it's what we can see. Mm -hmm. It's what we can see readily available in front of us. I'm sitting here looking at a microphone. You're looking at a yeah, microphone. Absolutely. You know, we're, we're looking at very particular objects in this world around us, in this space we're sitting in. Um, I can look outside and I can see the buildings around us, right? These are the things that are sort of more obvious because they are seen with the eye. Mm -hmm. The things that are more difficult, um, and, and this goes by a lot of names, social imaginaries from Charles Taylor. We've got, um, you know, kind of worldview is more classical language. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are a lot of different ways we can describe this um, with their own pros and cons. But, but nevertheless, that sort of immaterial, non-physical part um, is, is nonetheless all very real and, and influencing this conversation. And in fact, how we, how we orient ourselves to things, to each other, to our place in this world, to things place in this world. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, that's my suspicion. Do you have a, do you have pushback, well, no, a different I, thought? I guess my, my thing about thinking through, because we do think, tend to think of objects, but even as I've talked to students, most of the students I'm engaging with are saying things like, I think of the object as mostly digital technology, not if so when I say, well, what does technology mean? They'll say, well, basically, it's just, you know, it's your phone, it's a computer, it's a, you know, maybe a radio could be considered technology. But often we, we, we tend to think of technology in our direct uh, connection, in our direct impact and context to, to say, well, obviously a phone is, you know, a mobile device is, is technology. And obviously, you know, an iPad or a computer is technology. But when I ask them, well, what else is technology? They can't really narrow that down for me because for them, they're thinking of it, even in objects, in terms of the context and history in which they live. And so when I say things like, okay, is a book technology? They'll say, oh, um, I, I don't, I, I don't think it is. And I'm like, okay, so is a book a naturally occurring thing? And their response is, well, no, obviously, you know, their book's not just popping out of the ground like there's sure. trees. <laughs> so, oh, wait, so a book would be technology if it was something that humans created. Um, and obviously in culture, they created it to do something with their world and then it changed how they interacted with their world. So right. then they're, they're struggling with like, oh, wait, so then the printing press would be technology. Yes. Okay, is... is a paper a technology oh wait um well yeah i guess paper's a technology okay so then the paper's a technology on top of the book and even the writing in the book is the pencil a technology so their questions keep going well then what isn't technology and so generally what i've kind of gone back to which which makes my life a little bit easier is i tend to think in terms of well most of what is natural, I could say, okay, that's probably not technology. For the most part, it occurs in nature. It's just the things that God made. Sure. Technology is mostly what we have made, which is kind of what we're talking about in that definition, mm -hmm. what we make of the world. Right. That technology is things that we have crafted out of nature to serve a purpose. Yes. So we're starting to roll toward a definition. And then they start saying things like, oh, so everything we use to farm. Yes, everything used to farm. Uh, not just your phone, not just your iPad, not the microphones we're talking into, but um, your refrigerator is right. a piece of technology. Oh, yeah. wait, so... Wow, there's a lot of technology around me. 
yes, now we're starting to get somewhere. Right. And and that for them is this moment of eye-opening, oh, so my world is full. The buildings are technology. Yes, the buildings are technology. That is the start for them of realizing that, okay, I first thought of this as objects, but a very small group of objects. Now I'm starting to see that it's almost all objects that humans have made since the beginning of the world, including everything, clothing, cars, uh, buildings, glasses. I mean, just about anything you can think of that we made that starts falling under that context of, of technology. And that for them is this moment of zooming out and going, whoa, technology is a much bigger topic to talk about because I thought we were talking about the effects of technology, meaning my phone impacts me. Well, yeah, that's a very tiny part of it, but you live in a world full of technology from the bed you sleep on to the shower that you're working, that you you know wake up in the morning to the coffee that you drink, all of this is somewhat technologically engaged and mediated to us. Yes, yes, absolutely. I think that makes so much sense. Um, yeah, and uh, you know, an interesting uh, kind of example I was thinking about is uh, is Facebook. So, is Facebook technology? Well we kind of have to be more specific, right? There are so many different pieces we could talk about within sure. this. So is Facebook a, uh, is Facebook a company? Well, yeah, Facebook is a company, right? Sure. It's, it's a media giant. They have mm-hmm. a headquarters. You can mm-hmm. go and physically, you know, visit Facebook, but then it gets more complicated than this, right? Because Facebook functions as a network. Mm-hmm. It's a network. And so it's not really, it's kind of invisible in that sense. Sure. It's, you know, mediated to us via wires and wireless routers and that sort of thing. Um, and so it's this sort of space that we can then inhabit. So it is technology, but not in a simple sort of way, in actually a really dynamic and multifaceted sort mm-hmm. of way. And I suspect a lot of the things we're talking about do have those sort of multiple facets that, you know, yes, a building is technology, but we're not only talking about sort of the the brick and mortar, if you will, that's actually making it up. Yeah. There is this, you know, especially looking at some of these other kinds of causes, there are the social aspects, implications about how you move through a building. Mm-hmm. All of those are considerations that very much play into our sort of broad working definition of technology. Well, and, and so then you're, you're expanding this definition to start to include uh, our ways of thinking about it. Yes. And, and so like one of the challenges I've given to most students is, um, are, is the numbering system for chapters and verses in the Bible technology. And they'll say, well, no, that's just been there forever. And I'm like, how do you figure? I'm like, essentially, it's an organizing system. That's right. It didn't exist in the original Greek and Hebrew. It's not there. Yep. It, it has these very particular scrolls, obviously, but it doesn't have a number. There is no John 3.16. <laughs> and right. no one ever heard of that before they actually put this numbering system in place, which is a very late addition in terms of the technology. So the idea of saying, oh, so the book that I have that is a Bible is technology, but even the numbering system for finding where does this verse, quote unquote, end and chapter end is all things that we've assigned to it and a way of thinking about it so that we can manage it better. That's right. But technically that technology is a way of thinking as much as it's a physical, hey, there's a number on the page. Yeah, that's right. I I love what you're saying here, uh, Prof Pettit. I think that's so important. And as you were talking about that, it actually made me think of this uh, fantastic book that I've got sitting right here. Um, So this is by uh, Professor out at Wheaton, Reed Mercer Shushard, Mm -hmm. um, this book called Media, Journalism, and Communication. And uh, so in this, he does a really fantastic job of sort of unpacking for us um, kind of what you're getting at. And I think that's um, what we might call the mindset 
that comes along with each technology. Mm -hmm. And so he's looking at the Reformation in particular um, for some of this. And um, so I wanted to just mention, maybe if I can, uh, one thing here. And so uh, since we've been talking about the book, maybe we can go to that as our example. Um, So he talks about... Uh, I'm just pulling this up right here. Let me get to the right page. Um, He says, uh, we, uh, and I'm quoting here, he says, under print conditions, however, all that suddenly changes. What Gutenberg produced and what Luther manifested first and foremost was a private way of reading and interpreting Holy Scripture. Print is a technology of individualism. Mm -hmm. So what he's getting at here is the book, the very printed book, Um, shifted things dramatically because before this, of course, uh, we received scripture orally. It was primarily an oral Mm -hmm. um, or written, handwritten sort of uh, medium. But then suddenly when you have the book, now it's far more widely available to far more people. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, even the common person can have a book. And so when that happens now, suddenly you have literally the invention of this phrase, point of view. Mm-hmm. That phrase didn't exist before the book. Right. So there's something really significant happening there, some really fascinating shift. Um, and, and then I'll just read this as well. He says, The new medium of print created a psychological um, preference for the optical phenomenon known as perspective, mm-hmm. in which the viewer's position in front of a two-dimensional piece of art allows him or her to see the painter's view of three-dimensional perspective if he or she stands at the precise point of view in which to engage it. Point of view, of course, quickly became a metaphor for private intellectual interpretation, and this shift produced a massive internal awareness of private identity, private thought, and private perception or feeling. Mm -hmm. So there's something fascinating happening um, with every new technology, with every new piece that we, um, we are sort of changed as a people. And Interestingly, a lot of this is happening very much under the surface. We're not cognizant of this. Absolutely. And so the outcomes you start to see when you look at modernity based out of that individualistic book culture favor uh, logic that is organized arguments and ordered structure, long form that favors what would really was favored being a book because the book was what designed essentially the culture that you're going to get afterward. That's right. So So the technology isn't divorced from the culture. In fact, it's actually changing it. Yes. Which is what we're kind of starting to see in some of the things that are happening in digital culture at the moment. So somebody asked me, okay, Pettit, you just got to nail it down. Tell me what your definition is. So here's my definition. Uh, and let's see if you, you agree or disagree and, and, and challenge it. I'm happy to hear. Sure. Uh, and by the way, if you're listening to this online um, or, or on the radio, feel free. Email me at profpettit.com at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your reactions. If you disagree, if you think I got something wrong here, if you think something's different. Uh, so here's my definition of technology. The, the systems and tools that humans use to shape their worlds. So let me clarify. Systems, ways of thinking and engaging. So that's for uh, Klein's version of manufacturing and methodology. Okay. Uh, systems and tools uh, are both uh, hardware, but also frameworks and ways of thinking. So I can say this is a systematic way of thinking about organizing my schedule. I basically set a goal and work my way backward. That's a technological way of thinking. Right. Um, I'm arguing in this definition that only humans make technology. 
that there I know there's some arguments that are to be made about certain <laughs> kinds of animals that may make a stick or something to kill something. But here's the thing that I've realized. I don't think that it was, first of all, uh, the first invention was probably, in that sense, accidental. And second of all, there has been no progression. Yeah. So in essence, they watch somebody hit something and they just do it again and it worked so that it keeps working. Right. Um, that's something that we use, meaning we actually have to put it into practice, do something with it, uh, and ultimately to shape our world, meaning our world, uh, we didn't make any of the stuff that we're making this stuff with. Everything we've ever made has been made out of something God made. Yes. So you say, hey, well, I got this phone. Right. The glass was made out of sand that God made, that the transistors, metal, all that stuff from the battery, all that was God made that. God doesn't make nature. You can't make all of this. In that sense, I'm using uh, like C.S. Lewis's concept of being sub-creators. Sure. We create because God already created. Yeah. And that's appropriate in, in the right context with the right uh, ideas, but it always has mixed results. Sure. And we're shaping our worlds, and by worlds I mean different ways that different occult cultures think, engage, and use things uh, tend to create internally their own culture and internally their own uh, worlds of meaning, like I'm talking about in terms of culture. Yes. You're basically saying for me that the systems and tools that humans use to shape their worlds is the acknowledgement that I am trying to approach this from my background and vantage point with limited amount of... Um, Objectivity. And somebody said, well, wait a second. Are you saying there's no objective truth? Of course not. There's objective truth. God exists. And the way God sees the world is objective truth. I'm trying to get closer or further from that, but recognizing that I'm using these tools to shape my worlds uh, because that's the culture that I come from and the culture that I live in. And so I'm ex accessing that from that vantage point. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yep, I'm tracking with you. And you know what's fascinating, too, as you were uh, kind of describing that, I was thinking about uh, so uh, two things. One is that I suspect this sort of creative making um, very well may be connected to uh, Imago Dei, that mm -hmm. because yep. we are created in the image of God, I think it's not all that it means, but I think one of the implications of what that means is that we are then creative caregivers, mm -hmm. if we can use that language. Sure. Um, so we are to make things that are good and healthy, um, not just for ourselves, but for everyone, for these cultures in which we exist. Sure. So that's the first, the Imago Dei. Um, point. Um, the second, and this is fascinating as well, so the two uh, things that we are to, uh, th that we practice in the Eucharist are in fact both technologies in the sense that they are human-made. Mm. That wine and bread are both, or, or I should say are neither, uh, basically uh, natural occurring elements. Sure. They are things that are made, derived from things that God has given us. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, and, and maybe we can go into this question as well of uh, some of the morals of technology, and, and maybe yeah. that's, you know, we can just, just touch on it briefly. Maybe you have more things planned no, for yeah, that. No. Um, but I think there is this question of, you know, is technology good? Is technology evil? Is technology neutral? Mm -hmm. um, and, and those are really important questions, but I think what we must rule out is that technology, all technology is evil. We can't say sure. that because, in fact, uh, we see two things. One is to John Dyer's point that the story of, of the Bible starts in a garden and ends in a city. Correct. So that is a technological progression. Mm -hmm. um, and the second, yeah, a very simple example being that, yeah, the, the bread and the wine are both, in that sense, human-made 
technological products, we might say. Mm -hmm. And so technology isn't out of bounds. It's not something purely evil. Um, but yeah, what are, what are your thoughts on that? Line? Yeah, well, and I think you can, I, I definitely agree. I don't think you can say technology is purely evil simply because that you see multiple times throughout the scripture where God is doing technology right. in that sense. The first and foremost, um, you know, I argue, okay, okay, regardless of whether or not you want to, there are people that would make the argument that language is technology. I think that's pushing it a little bit for me on that definition. You're starting to blur some lines that I think probably need to stay in place. But I get the point okay. and I get your, where you're going. Yep. So, it, But if that's the case, then the first act of doing technology, fascinating, as soon as Adam and Eve sin, they start doing technological things. Yes. They make uh, garments for themselves out of leaves. And we could say, okay, well, that was to cover up their nakedness. That's because they knew they sinned. So obviously that may have meant it was evil. But if that's the case, then why, in that sense, as John Dyer would argue, did God do the first technological upgrade and give them an animal skin? Because we all know what happens to leaves in the fall around here. Right. They kind of tend to wither up and die. And this was not a suitable outcome for them to actually think, hey, we're going to be able to make this work. Right. So the idea then that we actually have seen God upgrade their first technology to say, hey, these skins are going to actually take better care of you, implies from that moment forward to things like the ark, to things even to uh, the tabernacle and, and the building of the temple, all the way down to the fact that Jesus's earthly father, Joseph, is called a tecton, right. a person who's doing technology. Mm -hmm. If technology was evil, then why in the world, A, does God do it throughout the history of the Old Testament, and B, when he comes, does he join a person and say, I'm going to be in the family with a person who does this, uh, engaging in himself, potentially. He's making tables and chairs and, and working on stone and wood, and he's, he's described using those same terms. So I totally agree. I don't think there's any way you can make the case that technology in and of itself is evil. Yes. What I... But what I think we need to clarify, which is kind of what we're getting at here, is the notion that, well, technology is neutral. It's only really uh, good or bad based on how we use it. Right. It's a tool. Sure. Is what I hear students say all the time. Sure. A tool. Right. And, but, it, but a tool comes with a set of expectations and also uh, tends to lead to a set of behaviors. Yes. So the, the joke that I always say is uh, there's an old saying that says, to the man with the hammer, everything looks like my nail. Mm -hmm. And and I have my youngest son uh, proves this almost every weekend. Like if I let him out in the garage and I'm like, okay, we're going to work on something. He gets a hammer. He's going to hit something. Right. Like uh, you're not supposed to hit that with a hammer, but it doesn't matter because it's a hammer and we just got to do that. Right. So uh, that hammer comes with a set of expectations about what it's for. And you could say, well, no, no, no. We could actually use it for something good. We could use it to open a door. We could use it to – you could, but the way it sits in your hand and its natural weight leads toward – hit something. That's right. So the tool that we have, even as far back as hammers, let's be clear, mm -hmm. naturally leads to some other outcome that you could say, well, but that wasn't, it must not have been just naturally, well, it's naturally evil. Obviously, it's going to yeah. destroy things. No, because we build things with it. Right. Or it's naturally good because it builds things. Well, yeah, but it also can do tremendous damage to people. Well, it's really only about the person who's using it. But is it? Is it really that simple? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think that's a, a thorough enough way to understand this. Maybe to go to a far more controversial example, to mm -hmm. follow along in your, your hammer example, um, a gun. Yep. What is a gun for? 
I've heard people say this all the time. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, these are very common sorts of arguments, and I don't want to get into all the politics behind all of this. But let's say just, you know, very simply, I think to stay, you know, kind of closely here in the technology conversation, um, when we look at the the four causes or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we can use either of these grids we've been talking about, um, at very least we have to talk about um, sort of the causa finalis. What is sort of what comes from this? Mm -hmm. Um, How is a gun used? used truly and honestly well oh i can use it for target practice yes that is true but the ultimate end of a gun is to shoot another person or to shoot an animal it is a killing machine Mm -hmm. right that is what it's for it's Mm -hmm. a killing yeah it doesn't make a very good doorstop that's right yeah exactly (laughs) yep probably don't want one of those sitting around. no i really don't that's right yeah so and and we can talk about you know this is a totally different conversation about the regulation of guns and all these different things. But the point is again to, to draw that out that technologies are not neutral. They bring with them various sorts of practices, sorts of ideologies, um, and even sorts of ends uh, for which they are designed. Absolutely, and that and that word there I think is key is to what end were they designed? Because ultimately, the end to which they were designed then alters even things earlier, like we were talking about social usage. To live in a house with a gun in it means that I change the way I live in that house. Right. means I can't just walk in and say, hey, every little kid can walk into every single room and open every single drawer. Because if I walk in and a three-year-old's got a gun, like that's a very different thing than saying, oh, well, we lock it up. Okay, but there's the point. You ha- you know that the end of what this does, right. so you know that realistically you have to ha- add extra layers of protection. You have to add places that are locked up and safe to make sure that nobody's going to get there to protect the rest of the household. You also have to find ways to make it accessible in case somebody was breaking into your home and you're trying to defend yourself. Regardless of what you think of guns, they change the environment. That's right. Simply by being present. That's right. And because of that, we have to start asking ourselves the questions of means and ends. Yes. We're trying to get to an end. What's the end we're trying to get to? And when we get to the conversation about technologies, we talk about it today, as most people talk about it. We can talk about refrigerators and we can talk about guns and we can even talk about, you know, hammers and all that stuff going all the way back in books. But most people, when they're starting to talk about Technology are actually referring most of the time to digital technology, and they're talking about the technologies that they currently use and have in their pockets all the time. And yet, if we ask them, well, what is the means and the end of this technology? What's the point? They most of the time say, oh, I didn't, I didn't think of it that way. I just thought of it as this device. Well, okay, I get where you're going, but realistically, like, you don't even know what it's for then. Right. Which is a really important question to ask. What's the end goal of this technology? That's right. I agree. It's such an important question for us to ask. And even when we look at, so if we can kind of, uh, again, use a very related term, I'm not saying they're equivalent, technology and media or a medium. But I think this is a natural place for this to come in. And again, to point back to Shushart's book, um, I love what he says here. He says, media is the plural of medium, yes. not median. That's yep. a different word, right? <laughs> medium. And and what is a medium? A medium is that which goes between. Mm-hmm. This makes sense, too, even as we think to the spiritual realm, right? Yep. What was a medium in the Old Testament? Well, they were the people who were trying to go between the mm-hmm. living and the dead, mm-hmm. right? So there's the sense of going between. And media, therefore, is sort of a connection. It connects us to something else, yep. someone else, right? Something that we can't do in a, in a different sort of way. 
um, at least, you know, strictly speaking, they're not identical, right? Well, and we use this term still, let's be clear. Like when right. we say we hired a mediator right. to get between the two of us to actually work some dis, you know, conflict or problem out, right. we're using the same idea. That's right. Yes, absolutely. So I think then this question of, you know, to to what are we connecting ourselves is maybe an even more specific way when we're talking about, let's say, digital technology, let's say specifically mm -hmm. Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, you know, name your name your specific yeah. platform. And I think that as a whole, exactly like you're saying, we haven't been very critical about to what we are connecting. Mm -hmm. There's something really scary there. Um, and so whether, uh, yeah, and, and even there, that's the starting point. That is a very initial starting point into should we use media? Should we use technology? And, and then, first of all, as Christians, should we use it? And then more specifically, should we should we use technology in our worship gatherings? That's an even more specific sure. question. You know, all of these are important questions to be asking. And we, I think we need to keep asking them. This yeah. isn't a once and done, oh, we solved it, good, let's check that off the list and move on to the next thing. No, this is an ongoing conversation precisely because every new media type, every new medium uh, will change the culture and the conversation. So, you know, exactly like you were saying, a hammer changes the changes the environment, changes the culture. A gun changes the environment, right? All of these different things. So how much more so when this is in fact shaping the very conversations that people are having, some conversation that happens uh, on Instagram, on Facebook, again, name your platform. Um, and yet that is now sort of switched around. It's no longer an extension or a supplement of what we are living in in the real world, but in fact, it's the other way around, that uh, the conversations that are happening online are in fact shaping or changing the ways that we live our lives every day. That's really interesting too. So it, again, it's sort of this two-way street. Well, and, and that is, to bring it back it, to, uh, the, the show is called Alul's Cafe. And, <laughs> and the reason uh, that I'm fascinated by Alul in a lot of ways is Alul started actually thinking through technology as, uh, ways of thinking and things that are being applied. And he had a term when he was talking uh, in the technological society called technique. Uh, and, and technique is not um, necessarily a method for accomplishing something or an actual physical object. He, he's wrestling with the ideas of what happens when we start to, or, or believe we learn, need to apply uh, rational technological thinking to every problem with the goal of making everything as efficient as we can possibly make it. Right. And when the end goal is efficiency, which by the way, let's be clear, most of digital technology is built with an end goal of efficiency. I want this to be done faster. Every single upgrade we get is to make the processor faster, the connection to Wi-Fi or to a cellular device faster. It's always about faster, bigger, stronger, better. Right. Efficiency. Right. But it's not just faster, bigger, stronger, better in our devices. It's told us that our lives with systematic, rational thinking, applying this technique, everything should have technique applied to it. And as we apply technique to everything, then you should be bigger, faster, stronger, better. You should be more productive. You should. It starts having implications because the end that it's that it's reaching toward may not be the end that we as humans were designed for. That's right. 
I agree totally. This is such a scary place to find ourselves because we can be buying into technique, this sort of super driving force that's undergirding so many aspects of our lives um, without even realizing it. And in fact, this gets really scary when we think about sort of ministry and disciple making, mm -hmm. when we're trying to apply technique, technique applied sorts of approaches to discipleship, to um, even how we preach, mm -hmm. how we do evangelism, go down the list, all these different things. When we're trying to apply a formula, a technique, we're going to get in trouble. Why? Because human beings are the weakest link in technique. Hmm. Everything else can be mechanized, yep. but we are the one thing that can't be mechanized. We are not replaceable parts. We have souls, we have bodies, we are bodies, we are souls, and consequently, we are dynamic. We're complex. Mm -hmm. We we are beings. We are not objects, right? Yep. And so, so, yeah, I think there's so much work to be done in this area about thinking through what is the difference between a technique-applied approach to life and ministry as believers um, and, you know, and then, you know, on the other hand, being very uh, personal and not technique applied mm -hmm. relational maybe is a way we can set that up i'm not exactly sure what the direct you know antecedent there is but yep. but yeah uh, this has so many implications that I, i'm sure you'll be exploring in future episodes well and, and what i'm wrestling with as well is you know that, that there are moments when i want certain things to be systematic i want them to be efficient i, I want them to work like they're supposed to work that's great I, and and in those spaces it's appropriate to apply those kinds of thinking. Sure. Um, if we're talking about, um, hey, I'd like the the my toilet to work in my house to be efficient and effective and not to, well, it just randomly works and sometimes it doesn't work. <laughs> like that's problematic. Right. But the the argument that I keep going back to is uh, um, chocolate chip cookies. So you're ready for this one? So, Good. So, I'm ready. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm hungry. And, and I'm assuming right now, yeah, you're hungry. <laughs> I'm getting there. Good. Uh, I'm assuming everybody out here uh, is listening to us right now uh, has had a chocolate chip cookie before. Um, so, but I want you to picture and imagine for a moment while you're listening to us that these are the best chocolate chip cookies. These are the ones your grandma made or, or your, your aunt made and you walked in the house and you could smell them before you got to eat them. You knew, oh, this is going to be good. And so the question I often ask people is, uh, now you walked in and they were baking in an oven, which, which is a form of technology, Yep. but it doesn't prize efficiency. It's not trying to get it done as quickly as possible. Right. Um, because you're looking forward to eating those cookies, and when they're done, you're going to be super excited about them. But let's suppose I said, you know what, let's just apply a technique to the situation. Um, I think it's possible to make chocolate chip cookies in a microwave, but they're probably not going to be good. Right. In fact, I've tried, and usually they're really like liquidy in the middle and burnt on the edges, and no one wants to eat them. Now, I've heard you can make them now, and put make, but I'm still like, if I had to pick... I'm still taking them to take the time yes. to actually engage and say, hey, this isn't about efficiency. Right. And in fact, I would argue that for human beings, and this is what most of the people, if you disagree with me out there, send me some, I'd love to sit down and talk with you over <laughs> coffee about this. Because I would argue that for human beings, our most inefficient moments are our most memorable and important ones. Hmm. If I'm trying to build relationship, I'm not trying to do it quickly. Oh, well, let's just exchange information. Well, we look in each other's profiles and I can send you an email. Is that really building a relationship? Not really. 
if I wanted to go on my first date with my wife and said, okay, we're just going to get all the information out of the way. Oh, that's the least romantic thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> if you say, hey, listen, I'd let, I just had coffee for three hours with this person. You're like, what did you talk about for three hours? I don't know, but it was great. Well, that's an inefficient way of working. Right. Like our relationships are almost always inefficient, and yet they're the best parts of what make us human. So if we make the end efficiency, let's go speed, let's get this done, let's get it knocked out. Technology will solve this problem. And we want to apply technology to every single facet of our lives. What we wind up with is a life that may go really fast and mean nothing. Mm. If yeah. we're not really careful. Yeah, absolutely. I, and, you know, even to, um, to to sort of dig into that a little bit deeper with, with exactly what you're saying, why is that vulnerability, I think, is a huge mm -hmm. part of it, right? That we connect over vulnerable moments. Mm -hmm. It's not the only way we connect, but certainly when we are exposed before someone else, when we open up and share our, our deep and, and personal mm -hmm. and, you know, not just dark things, but also the, you know, the things we love, the things we care about, mm -hmm. all of these things, those yeah. are vulnerable moments. And so relationships, deep relationships are built on vulnerability. Yeah. Vulnerability is not efficient. In no. fact, it is a weakness, something to be overcome, not something to be celebrated. And, and without that level of self-disclosure that comes with vulnerability, you never get to trust. And what's fascinating is that trust actually leads to more vulnerability. Yes. It leads to more openness. It leads to more trust. And it's this circle. And you could say, well, then you're trying to get to an efficient process. And I'm like, no, it's not a straight line either, though. Right. It comes and it goes and it waxes and wanes and I invest in you and, and we engage with one another. But it goes up and it goes down. It, it's not this consistent, okay, I did step one and I did step two and I did step three. So now we're friends. Right. Like, that's not how friendship works. <laughs> right. And so when we expect, though all of our things in our lives to be systematic and have this formula, one, two, three, four, will get me to five, we're good. We start applying that thinking in, in ways to our relationships and we start to feel the sense of disconnect. We start to feel the sense of loneliness. We start to feel the sense of um, isolation. And we say, why isn't this working? It's because we keep thinking technologically when we should be thinking relationally. Yes. And we keep prioritizing the ends efficiency of what technology is trying to get to and not know and be known. Yes. Which is really what the end of a relationship is to know and be known and be loved. Those things we long for, and the trick is efficiency actually works against that. Yes. Because if I try and say, hey, hurry up and tell me who you are, you're like, I don't want to talk to you. I don't, I don't know. I can't do that fast. I don't, let me just, that doesn't even make any sense. Right. The ability to slow down, the ability to say, hey, I'm willing to be inefficient in this moment because that's not my priority. And to start thinking through then what do we value as people? And then using those values, how do we make decisions about the kinds of technologies we're willing to engage and about the kinds of technologies we use on specific occasions and about the kinds of technologies we avoid altogether. Yes. And you say, hey, this isn't actually helping me get there. That's right. So as you started processing that, what things have you started thinking through based on your values? Here's some things I'm willing to do and here's some things I'm not. Yeah. Just practically. Sure. So, um, Let's say let's use social media as an example because um, I think that is one of the major technologies that you know we're all, let's be honest, using every day, right? Sure. So I think for me one of the most important um, ways to use this particular form of technology is uh, essentially to move to be constantly moving toward more personal or intimate, if you'd prefer that word, personal interactions. So 
Um, there's this great chart that I've seen where basically um, on the one hand you have like kind of the most personal sort mm -hmm. of interaction, mm -hmm. which is face-to-face, in-person, yep. yep. you know, nothing between you in that way. Um, then, you know, the next one might be, um, if we're getting into the technological realm, it might be a video sure. chat, right? Yep. And then from there, maybe the next one over is, um, you know, is a phone call. Sure. Yeah, so yeah, you're yeah. still hearing somebody's voice, but you can't see them anymore, yep. right? Then one step uh, beyond that might be, um, you know, might be texting, might mm -hmm. be letter mm -hmm. writing. Now, mm -hmm. some people say letter writing belongs further in the intimate, you know, personal sort I, of category. I would agree with them. And that yeah, might be true. Absolutely. That might be true. But nevertheless, yeah. you know, so um, just for sake of the argument, we'll drop it in here, right? That it's a written correspondence yep. um, between two people that's, you know, and then, so, but then even beyond that, we have sort of uh, instant messaging. So that's something that's happening yep. right away. Right. An email is a little bit less personal. It's mm -hmm. not assumed to be read and answered immediately. Mm -hmm. um, then, you know, and, and we can keep going down the list, right? From more personal to less personal. Mm -hmm. So for me, I think one of the most important things, the most important ways that we can be using social media in particular is that we are constantly trying to take wherever the relationship currently stands, take it to a more personal level. Okay. So whether it's, you know, okay, well, um, you know, and another sort of, if, if we draw this on an X and Y axis, maybe this is a helpful way to talk about it. So we have intimacy or personal on one mm -hmm. axis and then, um, you know, on, on one line. And then on the other, we've got um, sort of this, uh, we've got one-on-one, one-to-one. We've got uh, one-to-many, yep. which is like a teacher, right? That yep. kind of role. And then we've got a many-to-many, -many, where everybody's talking mm -hmm. and nobody really understands what's going on. <laughs> Let's be honest. A lot of times we use social media as many-to-many. -many. Mm -hmm. The platform is built that way. Everybody's speaking. Nobody's really listening. Maybe you sort of hear something once in a while from somebody. Sure. There's chaos, right? Yep. This is yep. not yep. really helpful, as opposed to one-on-one, -on -one, which is then, you know, just far better in, in you know, in the sense of uh, we are really getting to know each other. We're having that that deeper connection. So if that's if those are the two axes, um, then I think you know we we are constantly wanting to move uh, in in the you know upward direction toward more personal and away from many to many, even one to many mm -hmm. to one on one. So um, and I'm talking about this is you know sort of a personal way I use it. Mm -hmm. If we were talking about ministry, social, that's a different yeah, question. Yeah, yeah. You know, all of those sorts of things. But personally, so if somebody um, sends a message out, you know, let's say they post something on their wall, mm -hmm. um, on their Facebook wall. Okay, so um, they throw that out there. What is that? Well, that is a one to many, yep. right? Or many to many, however we want to think about it. One to many. Um, and so what I might do then is say, okay, there's something really interesting there. I can tell there's pain behind that. Or I can tell there's, you know, somebody really cares about this. This is something to really, you know, they want to, this is one of their core values. Okay, well, then I might direct message them. We've moved one step on the personal mm -hmm. scale, right? We, we've moved from the one to many, sort of this, just throwing this out there for everyone to see, now to a one-on-one. -on -one. So, okay, so now, um, you know, I send them a direct message. They respond to me within, you know, within a day. And they, yeah, and then, you know, maybe next it's, okay, well, man, I'd love to get together and talk about that. Maybe we can, you know, maybe we can get together and have coffee and talk about this further. So you're constantly moving from less intimate, less personal, to more intimate, more personal kinds of interactions. Um, maybe that's a helpful example. Yeah, and, and that's, I think you're, what you're doing there is you're working out of the value of prioritizing relationships. Um, and, and so if I were adding to that as we're getting ready to wrap up here, I, I think I would just say um, I've kind of worked the opposite direction okay. with my devices. Sure. 
because in essence, I've started realizing that I have a relationship with my device. It's in my pocket. I check it on a regular basis. And so I started asking myself more recently, like, what is this for? And then what do I need on it? Or uh, when do I need to check it? So I, I've started setting some things like uh, I took a whole bunch of stuff off my phone and just started asking, like, what do I really need this for? Right. And asking that question reshaped the apps that are on it. So I'm playing a game right now, if you'd like to play with me. I'm trying to see how few apps I can keep on a phone at one given time. Some of you are <laughs> like, I have to keep some things on here. What I found out was actually, um, and if you know me and you've hung out with me, you know I love Chipotle. Um, but I only need the Chipotle app once a week. So I actually download the Chipotle app, scan it to get the points that I need, and then delete it right afterward. Because I'm <laughs> like, hey, I've got data. It's fine. <laughs> Realistically, what I started realizing was uh, there's a lot, my phone's a lot less interesting mm. because I started thinking, how do I set boundaries and limits for this device that I'm engaging in the ways that I'm engaging in my life based on my values? And all of a sudden, the relationship started getting easier because there's not things popping up on my phone. There's no ding. There's no notifications. There's no nothing. Right. And all of a sudden, the people got really interesting. Yeah. It was fascinating that when I actually prioritize the relationship and simultaneously put boundaries on the technological devices I'm using, even to the points of saying, here's the times of day I'm willing to look at them, all of a sudden some things started shifting in the ways that I related to people and in the ways that I related to the technology all around me and started realizing, hey, I am actually more interested in the relationships and less interested in being fast and efficient. Yeah. And those values were then dictating my behavior in ways that... I think I wasn't as cognizant of when I first got a mobile device. I thought, this is cool. We should just use it. I wasn't thinking, hey, this is, if you want to understand what I mean, I just want you to think about what would happen if I told you that your pastor next Sunday was going to use a, a hammer in his sermon. And you're going, wait, that doesn't belong there. Right. You just picked this thing up and started using it like you knew what it was without actually considering it, what devices, what technology have you put into your life? And I'm not just talking about your mobile devices, I'm talking about lots of things. Yep. Have you put into your life that has started impacting you in ways that you didn't anticipate? And how then, based on that question, are you going to make some decisions based on the values, even that we talked about today, to prioritize relationships and know that they're not efficient, and to actually set some boundaries on the devices that you're using? Absolutely. One of the biggest myths, right? Technology is built for our good. That's not always the case and in no. fact it has its own ends its own values right behind that awesome well professor snyder i am so glad you stopped by just to talk with me today about this, this and is great. Uh, if I you, enjoyed it. yeah if you have more questions or you want to meet uh, both professor snyder and i have offices on crow late here on moody's campus we'd love to have you stop by and just ask us a question we're looking forward to uh, our episodes next week and just talking some more about some of the implications of this technology and how we relate to it based on the stories that we talked about in the last episode but again if you have questions feel free to send them to me at prof pettit P-R-O-F-P-E-T-T-I-T-T -T -T at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your questions, and I'd love to connect potentially over coffee if we don't need to do this technologically. But have a great week, everybody. <laughs>